You're listening to Good Hustle, a podcast about bad teams. I'm Andrew Mackey. For the past week, the show has been featured on the Anchor app, and that's been great. While Good Hustle is available on 11 different platforms, the show is actually hosted by Anchor. So it's all because of them you're able to hear me talk for 30 minutes about medium stakes, Jamario Moon, Mike Maroth, and Mr. Met. Since they've given the show a featured spot, I want to say thank you to all the new listeners out there, and there are a lot of you. Misery loves company, and this show loves its misery. I also want to let you all know I've been hard at work researching the worst of the worst and have suboptimal content ready for your consumption every Monday through the end of the year. So please subscribe, give the show a five-star review on iTunes, and stay tuned. It's gonna be bad. But now that I've said all that, let's get started, shall we? Shakespeare wrote, Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. And right now, and five times in the past nine seasons, that crown has landed right on the head of the University of Alabama. A historic program that ranks sixth all-time in wins. A program that claims the most national championships among teams still playing top-tier college football. A program that 18 years ago found itself readying to ascend to the top of the polls once again. However, as any fan knows, the preseason is for dreaming, and things don't always go to plan. With four Saturdays left before the start of this college football season, there are many future episodes of Good Hustle out there, and the fans have no idea what's in store for them. So let's get ready to journey down south once again, to the city of Tuscaloosa, the state of Alabama, and the alma mater of Forrest Gump himself. This is Episode 7 of Good Hustle, the 2000 University of Alabama Crimson Tide football team. Chapter 1. Dixie's Football Pride Apologies to the University of Central Florida, but right now, the Alabama Crimson Tide are the defending national champions of college football. This isn't new for the university. They've claimed 17 national championships throughout their history, 12 of which can't really be disputed, with five won on the field since 2009. At Alabama, the expectations are championships. National titles are expected. Conference championships are a given. Beating your rival is mandatory. If a coach missed these goals consistently, he wouldn't be in Tuscaloosa very long. Alabama once fired a coach before he even had an opportunity to lead the team onto the field because he was seen at a dancing establishment with extra bar-like apparatuses supporting the ceiling that also included a $1,000 hotel charge by an unknown female to his room, all while at a charity golf event. The best part about my research during this week is finding all the exciting ways to keep the show G-rated for my listeners. But if getting fired for off-the-field behavior isn't a good enough indicator for you, just know, football is serious business in Tuscaloosa. Bama has been in the football business since 1892, when law student William G. Little picked up the game while at prep school in New England. He soon taught it to other students, and within the year they had formed a team. 
Now, today, people sometimes will joke about Alabama's out-of-conference schedule, but in 1892, it was seriously light. The first ever game for the University of Alabama was played in Birmingham, in a park, against the team of local high school students. They won 56 to nothing. So when you see a lower division team on the Crimson Tide schedule, no, it is still a big step up from their inaugural game against a bunch of high schoolers. Hashtag Bama ain't played nobody. Alabama grew up as a football school alongside many of its major southern universities. Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana State, Mississippi, Mississippi State, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt have been in the same Southeastern Conference since its formation in 1933. Regardless of my personal feelings on the matter, as I mentioned back in Episode 5 when we were digging into the history of South Carolina football, this is the best conference in all the land, and has been for some time. But if you head even farther back, you will find out that these same schools have been facing off for almost 125 years. Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, and Vanderbilt were all members of the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Association way back in 1894. The Cleveland Spiders were still playing then. The next year, the SIAA would add, among others, Kentucky, Louisiana State, and Tennessee, which means we've seen Alabama facing these teams for a very, very long time. Bama has played Mississippi State 102 times, Tennessee 100 times, Vanderbilt 84 times, Louisiana State, and Auburn 82. Against all of these teams, they've compiled 296 victories to just 158 losses. Alabama has a winning record all-time against every team in the Southeastern Conference. In fact, if you look at an all-time wins and loss record for the university, you have to go all the way down to a team they've played just nine times before you find someone with a winning record against Alabama. It's Texas, by the way. But it has been decades of dominance for the Crimson Tide football program. But this isn't a story about Paul Bear Bryant, the legendary coach who roamed the sidelines in a very fashion-forward houndstooth fedora and saw his Crimson Tide win six national championships throughout the 60s and 70s. Or the modern-day dynasty of Coach Nick Saban and his current squad that is penciled into the college football playoff year after year. This is about the period that happens in between golden eras. This is about a season that had all the expectations you'd normally find with Alabama football. But instead of confetti dropping, the University of Alabama Million Dollar Band playing and the crowd yelling, Roll Tide! It ends with a program having a long, hard look in the mirror and wondering what just happened. So let's move ahead. At this point, Alabama has won just one national championship since Bear Bryant claimed the 1979 title. That happened in 1992, when Gene Stallings led an undefeated Alabama to a Sugar Bowl win over the Miami Hurricanes. This is actually one of the first college football games I really remember watching. I watched it with my relatives in Florida, who just lived north of Miami. It was a drubbing. The next season, Alabama would finish 9-3-1, and but would end up having to forfeit eight of those victories and the tie because a player was ruled ineligible for allegedly signing with an agent. They'd be prohibited from playing in a bowl game in 1995 because of that incident. 
and Stallings would retire after the 96 season, having led Bama to 70 wins and a national title over six years. Pretty good job. So who does Coach Stallings pass the baton to? Well, that would be his defensive coordinator, Mike DeBose. So let's get to know the new coach. Mike DeBose grew up in Alabama, and he played for Coach Bryant in the 1970s. DeBose was a part of the national title winning team in 1973. He'd coach at the high school level after his playing career ended and began his career as an assistant coach in college in 1980. By 1983, he was back at Alabama, where he stayed until 1986 when he took a job with the pros. But Tuscaloosa came calling again in 1990, and there he stayed until Gene Stallings retired, and he was named head coach of Alabama just 16 days later. This was his first head coaching gig since 1978, when he was a head coach in high school. In 1997, DuBose's first season at the helm, Alabama was not their usual self. The loss of scholarships had really hurt the team, and they lost seven of their last nine games, including their first loss to the University of Kentucky since 1922. And for those of you who don't know, Kentucky is a basketball school. They don't really care about football. I can say this because my family is from Kentucky. They finished just 4-7, and seven, and DuBose would fire his offensive coordinator, Bruce Arians. Don't worry about Bruce, though. He'd eventually become a successful NFL head coach, and he just recently retired, so enjoy it, Bruce. However, that 4-7 mark was the worst record Alabama had seen since 1957, the year before Bear Bryant arrived, so not the best start to your head coaching career. We're making history, guys, but not the kind we want to. The next year, DuBose turned it around and finished 7-5. Alabama was back in a bowl game. However, in May 1999, a report surfaced that Coach DuBose was accused of having an affair with his secretary, and she filed suit against the university and the coach. DuBose would deny the claims, but the university would settle the lawsuit for $350,000. They also cut his salary from $525,000 to $165,000 for the next three seasons and removed the final two years of his five-year contract. This meant that DuBose would be without a job after the 1999 season unless he could receive a new contract extension from Alabama. The 1999 season started off with Alabama winning their first two games before losing in shocking fashion for the second time under Coach DuBose to non-SEC opponent Louisiana Tech. People wanted DuBose gone, but instead of firing the coach, Alabama would fire their athletic director. That seemed to work, though, and the team completely turned around the season. They beat the number three ranked Florida Gators on the road in Gainesville en route to finishing the year 10 and 3 and winning the Southeastern Conference for the first time since 1992. DuBose was named SEC Coach of the Year. Alabama would make the Orange Bowl, which is one of the major New Year's Bowls, and they would lose that game to Michigan on a missed extra point in overtime. Full disclosure, I was watching this game, and I missed this play. I had watched Alabama score, and kind of did that nervous pace out of my bedroom while doing the Surrender Cobra pose. I ran back in upon hearing the announcers screaming, and saw Michigan celebrating on the field. And to this day, I never take extra points for granted. I had to show my wife what the Surrender Cobra was, and if you don't know, I recommend you just Google image search the phrase. 
My wife believes that this pose is the very essence of the show, and I couldn't agree more. It's a visual feast of defeat. I like to think that Alabama kicker Ryan Flunger was just extra relieved that Y2K turned out to be nothing, and was thinking of a life filled with technology as his extra point sailed wide right. Flunger is now Dr. Flunger, an orthopedic surgeon, so he's doing all right. Michigan's quarterback during that game was some guy named Tom Brady, but I don't really know what happened to him. The guy people were really excited about was the backup, Drew Henson. He's probably going to win like five Super Bowls. Okay, back to Alabama. Despite the loss, though, Mike DeBose would get those two years he lost added back onto his contract, and he's going to continue to lead the team, despite almost losing his job in October. So now that we have set all that stage for you, we're ready to enter into 2000. I wanted to give you guys a better idea of where Alabama was, because right now it's kind of hard to think of Alabama kind of at a turning point. They're just crushing people. So let's head on. Chapter 2. Fight on, fight on, fight on men. We've made it. We're back in the year 2000. The jeans are baggy, the tips are bleached, it's the new millennium. Alabama is returning 18 starters from the team that won the Southeastern Conference. Expectations are sky high and many are hoping to see Bama competing once again for a national title. Eight years has been too long. It's go time for the Tide. They were bringing back Freddie Millens at receiver. The year before, he set a school record with 65 receptions and was fourth in the SEC in punts returned yardage. Alabama would also return Andrew Zhao at quarterback. The big missing pieces on offense would be offensive tackle Chris Samuels and running back Sean Alexander who had been taken 3rd and 19th in the first round of the NFL draft, respectively. On the defensive side, they had lost Cornelius Griffin to the NFL as well. But Alabama and the national media were ready for a return to the top. And this was made clear by the fact that Alabama was ranked number 3 in the preseason polls, putting them in the conversation with Nebraska, Miami, Wisconsin, and Florida State for number 1 in the country. They opened Week 1 on September 2nd, 2000, with an out-of-conference game against Pac-10 opponent UCLA. That day, the Crimson Tide took the field at the historic Rose Bowl Stadium for the first time since 1946. UCLA was picked in the preseason to finish anywhere between 3rd to 7th in their conference. The season before, they had finished 4-7. and seven. They did not play in a bowl game. This would be a pretty good non-conference win for the Crimson Tide. A nice easy start to what should be a pretty good season. And in front of 76,640 fans, many wearing Alabama red since the team had sold out their allotment of tickets, everything appeared to be going to plan. Freddie Millens returned a first quarter punt 71 yards for a touchdown. But instead of running away with the game, UCLA would fight back. By halftime, UCLA had taken a 17-14 lead over the number three team in the country. The game was ugly. The offense was completely sputtering. The defense was destroyed. UCLA running back Deshaun Foster would torch the Crimson Tide for 187 yards rushing and three touchdowns. Alabama looked inept. 
They dominated us on both sides of the line of scrimmage, Coach DeBose said. We had our opportunities in the first half. We just didn't make the plays. I'm disappointed in the way we played. I'm disappointed in the way I prepared them. The Crimson Tide would lose 35-24 to on the first game of the season to a team picked at best to be third in their own conference. The polls noticed, too, and Alabama fell from third to 13th. While a non-conference loss can hurt your national title chances, it doesn't hurt your conference title opportunity. So while this wasn't the start that Alabama had hoped for, there was still a lot of football left to be played, and importantly for the Crimson Tide, a lot of SEC football left to be played. And first on that list would be conference opponent Vanderbilt. So let's get into some exciting SEC action, shall we? Alabama would take a 10-7 halftime lead against the Commodores, hardly the bounce-back performance the fans were looking for, and the game would stay close into the fourth, before Alabama would pull away with about nine minutes to go and win the game 28-10. That still wasn't enough to impress voters in the polls, though, and Alabama fell another two spots despite winning. Next up for the Tide was mid-major opponent Southern Mississippi, who despite playing in a much smaller conference, found themselves ranked 25th in the nation. This is where it goes off the rails for our Crimson Tide. Eric Evans, a writer at Roll Bama Roll, an SB Nation sports blog dedicated to the football team, wrote about this game in 2014. In the recent history of Alabama, there have been many desultory, listless losses, and I have seen many of them. However, few can match the bottom-of-the-barrel, low-energy crowd at that game, or the way that a mid-major team absolutely whipped our blank up and down the field. I believe I threw up at this moment. And then Evan shows a clip of a trick play by Alabama, in which running back turned wide receiver Arvin Richard chucks the ball downfield only to find it intercepted by Southern Mississippi defensive back Raymond Walls, who then returns it 54 yards for a Golden Eagles touchdown. It was a disaster of a game. Alabama looked terrible, and Southern Miss would shut out the 15th-ranked Crimson Tide 21 to nothing at Legion Field in Birmingham. It was the first ever shutout by the Golden Eagles over the Crimson Tide in the series' 38-game history. The Tide would be kicked out of the top 25 polls, and they would not return for the rest of the season. DeBose offered his resignation to the new athletic director, Mal Moore, after the game, but Moore refused it. Regardless, Alabama was gone from the national title picture after that performance, just three games into the season. The next week, Bama would take on Arkansas in Fayetteville, and this was another SEC conference game. After all, those losses to UCLA and Southern Mississippi, while bad, were out of conference. Alabama was still undefeated in the SEC. They still had a chance for an SEC championship. Alabama would score first, looking to get their season back on track. They were winning 14-7 with about two minutes to go in the first half, just looking to run the clock out and head into the locker room with some ounce of momentum. The Alabama running back would get a handoff almost to midfield, and then he drops the ball. Arkansas would recover the fumble and return it all the way to the 22. Alabama would try to stop them, but on 3rd and 7, the Razorbacks drop back to pass. The defense gets a lot of pressure on Arkansas quarterback Robbie Hampton, 
and he runs out of the pocket to his right. Seeing disaster, he throws his ball across the field, which is usually a terrible idea. Alabama junior linebacker Darius Gilbert gets to the ball. He puts his hands on it. He's about to catch it. And then it bounces out of his hands, past the first down marker, and into the hands of Arkansas tight end Marcellus Poitras. It's a first down. As soon as you see what happens, Gilbert puts his hands on his head in disbelief. Just a few plays later, Arkansas would dive over the Alabama defense for a touchdown. The teams are going to halftime, tied at 14. So much for momentum. The game would go back and forth, but never take extra points for granted, because when Arkansas was about to tie the game, Alabama blocks the kick. It gives them a 21-20 lead. They would keep that lead late into the game. Here comes a crucial point with about four minutes left. Alabama has pushed Arkansas to a third down and 11. That's long odds. Quarterback Robbie Hampton scrambles around, loses his pursuers, and then he sees a lane. And with no one open, he runs his way to a first down to keep the drive alive. Arkansas would keep the drive alive by converting a second third down when Alvin Ray broke a long run to put Arkansas in a field goal range. With just a minute left, it's Marcellus Poitras again, catching a pass in the end zone, and then he's immediately swarmed by Arkansas fans. Arkansas takes the lead, 28-21, and that's your ball game. The loss was controversial, though. There were two disputed calls that allowed the Razorbacks to continue what would be the game-winning drive, but Alabama had fallen to 1-3 on the year. They'd rebound with a win against Lou Holtz and the 25th-ranked South Carolina Gamecocks, who is just one year removed from the disaster that was Good Hustle Episode 5. Hey, Lou. They'd follow it up with a 45-7 thumping of rival Mississippi. Alabama is now 3-3. They're 2-1 in the SEC, and they're somehow still in contention for an SEC championship. When 3-3 three three Alabama traveled to Nayland Stadium in Knoxville, it wasn't going to be a rivalry game. It was going to be a death match. Tennessee had also started the year with high expectations. They were the 13th ranked team in the preseason polls. Like Alabama, they had struggled to keep up with those expectations, but they had lost to ranked opponents Florida and Georgia. Their worst loss was against LSU and first-year coach Nick Saban, who Alabama will grow to love eventually. But right now, this is not the time. Tennessee and Alabama were going to be fighting for their lives. The loser would be done with their fourth loss of the year, and this is before we even get to November, where every game is important. Andrew Zhao would be back in at quarterback. He had been replaced by Tyler Watts, but Tyler Watts had gotten hurt. Alabama was held to just 44 yards rushing, which is not a good thing if you're trying to save your season. Casey Clawson, a freshman quarterback making his first start for Tennessee, would throw two touchdown passes. The Volunteers beat Alabama 20-10. It was all over for the Crimson Tide. They had to still play out the year, though, and next week was homecoming. At least you have that to look forward to, right? Chapter 3 if God intends me to do something, then I will do that. It was October 28th, and Alabama was playing their last out-of-conference opponent for the year. 
the University of Central Florida. The game was a bit of a letdown for the Tide. They were coming home after a heartbreaking loss to Tennessee. Their season appeared to be all but over. What else could go wrong? Well, this game could go wrong. It was a thriller for those who didn't care about which team won. Touchdowns would go back and forth. The teams would exchange momentum. Central Florida opened the game up with a quick 10-0 lead. Alabama would then respond with 24 unanswered points of their own, which was then responded again by Central Florida, scoring another 27, and then 14 more for Alabama. Back and forth, back and forth. The preseason number three team in the country, the defending Southeastern Conference champion, was now fighting tooth and nail during their own homecoming game with Central Florida. With 2 minutes 21 seconds remaining in the game, it was Alabama 38, Central Florida 37. UCF quarterback Ryan Schneider and the Knights took over from their own 21-yard line. He took the team right down the field, completing 7 of 8 passes for 59 yards on that final drive. It would set up a 37-yard field goal attempt by kicker Javier Berlegi from a wide hash mark on the field in Tuscaloosa. Coach Mike DeBose would try to ice the kicker. This is a ploy that coaches use to try and get into an opposing player's head before a critical play. He goes through his routine. He goes through his progression on the kick. He lines up. Right before the play, the coach will call a timeout, so he has to think about it some more. The teams reline up after the timeout. Berlegi's kick is up, and it just sneaks inside one of the uprights on the goalpost with only three seconds left. The Central Florida players rush onto the field and mob Berlegi. The game ends. Central Florida has upset Alabama in Tuscaloosa, 40-38. This game is known by Central Florida fans as simply the kick. DeBose said after the game he did not plan to resign. If God intends me to do something, then I will do that, DeBose said. Or I will look in the eyes of these young men and know I'm not doing the things I should be doing to help them become a better player, a better student, and a better person. And I believe we're doing that. Again, while embarrassing to the team, it was a non-conference loss. Alabama, believe it or not, could still play in the SEC championship game. All they had to do was win their last three games against Louisiana State, Mississippi State, and arch-nemesis Auburn. But athletic director Mal Moore had seen enough. He would hold a news conference on November 1st announcing that DuBose was resigning. He finished coaching the rest of the season. Only four years into his first collegiate head coaching job, just one year removed from being coach of the year in the SEC, DuBose was fired from his alma mater, and Alabama would lose the remaining three games of the year, culminating in an embarrassing 9-0 shutout at home in the Iron Bowl to their rivals Auburn. They'd finish the year just 3-8. and eight. At 47 years of age, DeBose would never serve again as the head coach of a college football program. Two years later, he's coaching a winless high school team in Alabama. Unfortunately, though, the effects of his reign would not dissipate so quickly. The NCAA began investigating his recruitment of Albert Means, who was a star defensive lineman. DeBose was not implicated personally in any wrongdoing, but Alabama would face the justice of the NCAA which hammered them for the violations occurring on his watch. 21 scholarships would be lost over three years. 
Alabama would face a two-year bull ban and five years of probation. Mal Moore, the athletic director, said a search would be undertaken for an experienced head coach to replace Mike DeBose. They'd settle on Texas Christian University head coach Dennis Franconi. The 2001 Crimson Tide would go 7-5 and and win the Independence Bowl, which became Alabama's first bowl win in five seasons. The 2002 team would finish with a 6-2 conference record, placing first in the SEC's West Division. But because of the sanctions under DeBose, they weren't allowed to play in the SEC championship game or any bowl games. Alabama offered Franconi a 10-year extension worth $15 million. He wouldn't sign it, though. And following the vacancy at Texas A&M, many thought he was heading to that job. Franconi would publicly deny before the 2002 Iron Bowl game versus Auburn that he was going to take over the Aggies. But on December 5th, 2002, he flew to Texas to interview for the job. His decision was influenced by the NCAA sanctions placed on Alabama because of Coach DeBose's time with the team. Franconi would never go back to Tuscaloosa after being hired, informing the Crimson Tide players of his decision to accept the job at A&M by video teleconference. Franconi would later be replaced by Mike Price, who would never coach a game at Alabama after being hired because of the scandal I mentioned at the beginning of the show. They'd settle on former player Mike Shula, who at the time he was hired was the second youngest coach in all of college football. He signed a six-year deal, but he'd only get three. The sanction-ridden Alabama team would only win 10 games in those three years under Shula. They'd lose 23. In 2007, the team would hire Miami Dolphins and former Louisiana State head coach Nick Saban. They'd finish 7-6 during his first season, and it was the last time that he would win single-digit games. As of this airing, Coach Saban has won 127 games and lost only 20 while in charge of Alabama, leading the team to five national championships, the most recent of which coming in 2017, despite claims from, ironically, an undefeated University of Central Florida team. Saban is now tied with Paul Bear Bryant, the legendary coach of Alabama for most NCAA championships in the modern era. Alabama is currently the favorite to win the 2018 national title. Have a season you'd like featured on Good Hustle? Let me know at listentogoodhustle.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Mackey or on Instagram at Hello Mackey. And that's spelled M-A-C-K-E-Y. Good Hustle is written, edited, and hosted by Andrew Mackey. This week's research shoutouts go to Roll Bama Roll, ABC News, SportsReference.com, ESPN, Fox Sports, Wikipedia, and the real heroes who've put this season in its entirety on YouTube. Special thanks go to my mom and dad for buying the 16-year-old version of me a University of Michigan 2000 Orange Bowl Champions t-shirt. We'll see you next week.